And welcome to episode 61 of the Brood Sages. Stormbound players with a head for the game. I am Freeloader, and with me as always are Subaiku and Thomas. Subaiku, how's it going tonight? Fantastic. And Thomas, how are you doing? Pretty all right. We also have a special guest this week, Mach 23. Mach, how are you doing? Pretty good. Hey, guys. <laughs> we are the Brood Sages, easily the second best Stormbound-related podcast in production. And as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages on Twitter. Or for all of you who've ever found yourself searching for your phone, using your phone's flash- flashlight to do so, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. Um, before we get into our main topic, which I'm very excited about tonight and the reason for, for Mox uh, joining us, um, we also need to do a little bit of revisiting of our last episode, guys, because uh, as it turns out, even before the cards got released, we had a few balance changes. Sabaiku, <laughs> uh, uh, can you give me the first one? Yeah, Vavel the Looper. Still a legendary. They didn't change that, unfortunately. Uh, still three mana, but the strength is down. It used to have nine strength at level five. Now it's three, four, five, six, seven strength. So uh, that's basically right after the the buff. Yeah, it's one, two, three, four, five strength, but with two movement. So mm. now before moving, it gains one, 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 two, two strength, and still keeps the teleport to the first empty tile behind. So now it functionally is a three mana seven strength two movement but it will continue to grow if it sticks on the board and isn't frozen i guess um and it keeps the funky teleport mechanic which is pretty fun yeah uh and and just to be clear even though it's two movement it teleports twice right it 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 teleports back moves forward teleports back moves forward again it teleports once to okay to its starting position and then moves two tiles from there before moving only triggers once before movement, not before each individual tile. So gotcha. think of the sparkly that, kitties. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now that it has two movement, you can actually still use it defensively, much more flexibly. You can use it on your baseline to clear two units, which is fantastic. Mm. Thomas, what do you think? It's really, really good in draft, uh, especially when you're playing it with in a Mistwives deck. When you're essentially on equals, your first turn you open with this. It uh, it oh has God. three strength in the middle of the board, and then the next turn, because your opponent most likely doesn't have enough movement to do any damage to it, it's going to buff itself to four strength, and then you get to proc a seven strength Mistwives, uh, getting real close to their base. <laughs> Goodness, it's it's almost like you've played it and the Hearth. Even better. It's absolutely ridiculous. Having uh, just one draft with it, it was a monster in in the draft mode. It definitely helped to get me to an to an easy six zero with that run. It, did you level it up at all, or did you? I mean, legendaries are are, are, are infamously I did, difficult. I did find one upgrade for it, so it got one okay. extra strength, which was nice, but not necessary. Right. And and Mach, what what are your thoughts on this? I mean, what Thomas described just now is seems dirty i love it um i have enjoyed it in draft but i've been racking my brain about what kind of deck to build it into in ladder and i I can't think of one but i I actually loved it in draft well uh, as i mentioned in the last one the um the fact that it's a dragon hero uh is fairly important for this particular uh mechanic right because a lot of the dragon cards only produce value 
when there's already a dragon on the board. So having a, a, a persistent dragon on the board takes cards, you know, like Dreadful, for example. And and not that I think Dreadful is going to be an amazing card now that Vavel is here, but but at least it, it it makes the likelihood of finding value from Dreadful a lot higher when you've got just this persistent giant tank of a dragon sitting on the board. I think there's a dragon deck out there somewhere. Maybe one that uses Sunbeam. I'm not sure. If so, Arthas will find it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm very enticed by this. Has, have it, does anybody have it at level, you know, at a, at a playable level yet? I'm waiting until September for it. Have level two. That's yeah, it. All right. I, I'm with Thomas on this one. Yeah, wait, wait till September. We suspect there's going to be an anniversary event. So try to hold out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sabaiku gave us a Vavel. Uh, Thomas, can you give us Guardy the Lightbringer? All right, so being dropped down by one mana cost from five down to four, and now its strength is going across the board four, five, six, seven, eight, and it gets one movement. So it is like every four mana uh, neutral card these days. Uh, Eight strength, one movement, four mana cost card, which is totally normal specs uh, Mm -hmm. for it. But now the ability is before moving, if there are no enemy units in front, Create a zero cost level five single use non-common temple card and add it to your deck. Quite the uh, the wordage. A um, lot going on there. Uh, the first thing to point out is you now, uh, my gripe about it before was that you had no control whether you were going to get a temple or not. And your opponent had the complete ability to decide whether or not they should give you that temple. Now you do get the opportunity to decide when you want a temple and when you do not want a temple. If it's a late game, you probably don't care about it. And if you need to play defensively, then you can attack into opponent things. And if it's early game and you really want that zero cost for your six mana turn, spoiler, you don't, (laughs) (laughs) then you get to decide. So um, much better than it was before. Yeah, yeah. At least, if nothing else, it, it has like the the standard vanilla stats for a four mana card now. Uh, Sabaiku, have we? Have you? You've you've had a couple more weeks to kind of rack your brain on this. Have you come up with a zero cost, non common temple card that you want to have randomly added to your deck? Well, if you're playing hearth guards, any of them are fine. <laughs> um, that's and that's about the best that I got, right? Like if you're playing an aggressive hearth guards ironclad deck, like your opponent knows to try to block off the unstable build, to try to remove the unstable build if they can. So maybe you slot this in as a four mana tech card instead of Windmakers or Scrapped or the new Eloth. You put Guardi in the four mana slot. You have another backup so you're not uh your whole plan is not contingent upon leaving an unstable build on the board uh it it could add a little more reliability to that deck it could also screw up the uh cycling of that deck oh my gosh uh it could also you know completely backfire because you have to use guardy to trade in order to you know keep control of the board or whatever and if there's something in front of it, you just don't get that temple. And nobody is thinking there's a Temple Guardians deck with this, right? Mock, <laughs> mock Temple Guardians deck with, with yeah, the Guardian? It crossed my mind, but it's still <laughs> Temple Guardians is still slow. Yes. Yeah, it is. And you know what? It, getting Temple Guardians to proc was not the hard part of that, because if you left a temple on the board, your opponent didn't want to remove it because it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, no. I, I, uh, yeah, I just, I, I have still not been able to find the theoretical deck that Guardi fits in that, that's like the missing piece, you know? Hearth Guards is right. A zero yeah. cost temple structure whatever for hearth cards but i feel like in that deck it's uh and for for those of you who don't know who eli manning is i apologize but uh uh it's the eli manning of that deck uh eli manning for those of you who don't know was a quarterback for the new york giants he had a reputation for being absolutely abysmal for three quarters of every game and then he had hall of fame level stats for the fourth quarter of games and as i have pointed out many times to Sibaiku, the only reason why Eli Manning had such good stats late game is because he needed them. <laughs> if only he played at an average level the rest of the game, he didn't need heroics to win. Uh, and I feel like Guardi the Lightbringer does the same thing here, right? Like, it's amazing if you can find the free temple on the same turn as the Hearth Guards so that you can come up with an improbable win. But having played a lot of Hearth Guards decks, what I have found often is if you can just maintain good discipline and a strong sort of deck a, a, attack against your opponent, you don't even need it to proc against the unstable build. You just need the seven damage. A lot of times I would win just playing hearth cards without any temple or, or, or structure on the board because I didn't need it. Yeah, but the nice thing that you're going to have now if you do get that zero mana cost card is you're going to be able to play like wild saber paws and then the temple and then still play hearth guards on the eight mana turn. I don't know how often it's been like on the eight mana turn, you really needed to play unstable build and hearth guards, but you didn't have any extra mana to try and clear out your opponent's uh, defensive line for the hearth guards going in. That, that's fair. I thought you originally you were saying if you had no front and you just needed like on eight mana to try to, and I'm like, that's exactly the Hail Mary I'm talking about. You, you've you've already put yourself behind the eight ball in the first three quarters of that game if you need a Hail Mary on eight to come up with 14 damage for the win. like. But yeah, there, there are definitely times where you need to play defense or you need to clear your opponent's defense uh, to, to make the hearth cards possible. And that is a very interesting little foreshadowing into the main topic that we'll come to in a little bit. But first, on the very day that we are recording this episode, uh, which for us is August 17th, Heroes League is uh, getting a little update. Uh, I guess I'll take this one since everybody, uh, since the other uh, two of you guys got to uh, have one of the balance changes. Uh, there is a matchmaking improvement happening uh, in the Heroes League. For those of you who, who are up there, uh, you'll notice that uh, it, it happens fairly often now that you can just keep queuing into the same opponent multiple times in a row. Um, Sheepyard's done some data collection. They took a look at the data and they have decided that to improve the queue times and all the rest of that, they're pushing a little fix today that's going to uh, make that experience better in both uh, your queue times. And hopefully you don't run into the same opponent multiple times in a row. Uh, we will keep an eye on it and look for our next episode near the end of the month, which would be the one with the September patch notes. Uh, we'll give you guys some feedback on uh, whether or not we've noticed a substantial change or not, I guess I have to get out of Diamond 5 at some point to start testing. <laughs> but I know Sabaiku's in the Heroes League already. Uh, and Thomas, are you as well? I am not. Yeah. Playing around okay. Diamond 1. <laughs> so, you know, we'll get, around. we'll get around to testing it. Mark, where are you at? Uh, somewhere in Diamond. 
Yeah, there you go. So so I'm 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 carrying the the, the rear here. I've played literally two games on ladder. One of both uh, with uh, that uh, um, Die Hard's deck. I'm still enjoying playing Die Hard's. It's uh, it's pretty fun. It's the one that Thomas and I uh, um, brought to Heroes League last month on the last night. Well, at one point I was excited about Heroes uh, League and I was playing a winter deck, but then I realized everyone else is playing the same deck. So I've gone back to my <laughs> old standard, which is just you know, kind of a chip horrible kind of thing right. it always gets me to heroes league but i never go very far with it for a lot of us that's all we want to do is just get to heroes league so uh why don't we move on from here then into the main topic and the main topic is actually mock you've been working on a little bit of a guide right um and give us some background on the guide that you've been trying to uh, put together here well i i thought i i, I looked at all of the stuff that was online and um I had been playing a bunch of draft stuff, and I and I keep seeing certain kinds of what what I perceive as mistakes. Now I'm not I'm not at the top of the Heroes League, and I thought, well, maybe I could write a guide for kind of advanced players. They they get a little bit of the game, but there are some things that they might benefit from asking themselves when they play, and uh, it's based on some chess and some Go or Baduk guides that I've seen before. It is basically a set of questions you might ask yourself before making your play. And uh, I just want to let our listeners know, we see this kind of as a follow-up to uh, episode 58, While Improvement Equals True. Uh, this is kind of in, in a vein of, of episodes that we want to you know, slowly dole out over time that, that kind of give pointers on how to improve your game. Um, otherwise, I don't know why you listen to us. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know what anybody does anyway, but it's our goal um, to, to, to try to provide some insights into how to play better. And both Subaiku and I had or have already had a conversation with Mock about this uh, um, uh, a guide. And our one of our initial reactions was this would actually make an interesting episode uh, of the Brood Sages if we all kind of just drop these ideas into the vat of the podcast and sort of shake it up and stir it around and see what comes out. So so what you're going to hear is not our like pre-planned thoughts on each of these things. It is sort of, um, for, for all of these concepts, it's just kind of our first initial reaction. Uh, the two things that I want everyone to kind of bear in mind in it are that there will be some topics and some ideas, some questions that you think are obvious and stupid, and why should you be asking yourself those kinds of questions? And you can garner from that, I believe, your play style. If those kinds of questions are the ones that you answer automatically every turn without even having to push yourself, that's your play style. <laughs> that's what you do well. The ones that you're like, oh gosh, I don't even think of that. Or, oh yeah, I know I'm supposed to think of that, but I never do. Those are the things you struggle with. That's the play styles that you don't play as well. That, so that's uh, concept one. And then concept two that I want to kind of tint everything with there are questions in here, Mock, like the first two, your, your first two questions in, in your draft, right? Are, are you playing too defensively? And do you even need to defend? If so, how to do it? Those questions, in my opinion, start at the most basic fundamental sort of level of Stormbound. Those are the same questions that the top player in HL is asking himself in his last game of the season. <laughs> 
<laughs> do I am I playing too defensively? Do I need to defend? Can I risk it here? Do we go for the win? These are the, the those kinds of nuanced questions, man. <sighs> That's a lifelong pursuit trying to find out if you can answer that right or wrong. Um, in, in my opinion, when a player is hot, they're answering these questions exactly right way more often than average. And when they're struggling, they're answering them incorrectly more often. Uh, this is almost, to, in my mind, the definition of a hot player is when they know exactly the right mode to be in at the right time. So uh, without further ado, um, Mock, why don't you just give us uh, pick randomly. Let's just start picking randomly. Uh, uh, pick one of the questions uh, from 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 this, and let's see what comes out of it. I'm very curious to see. Like, let's let's hear Thomas's reaction first. Well, I, I feel like I don't want to pick randomly because I did front load it. So, so that question: Are you playing too defensively? Okay, you must sometimes defend, but when I have played draft, I constantly win games because my opponent has decided to play too defensively i feel like it's too easy to play to you know to 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 worry about um i don't know eliminating all of your opponent's uh, stuff and i would have easily lost uh, i don't know dozens and dozens of games if if my opponent had been just a little bit more aggressive that being said it is a nice edge of balance. So my question is, you know, are you playing too, too defensively? You should ask yourself that. But the way you ask yourself that is, you know, in the form of other questions. Do you have do you have another play that you could make that that maybe defends you a little bit, but also moves you further down the board? Can you? put your runners can you put a cheap runner at least a cheap runner down the board could you put a couple units forward instead of like one big heavy that's gonna block things instead of blocking and like trading can you just like put your stuff next to the enemy and see what happens because they are gonna have to deal with your aggression just as much as um you know you feel you need to defend it's 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 interesting that you bring up the 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 um the differences that you feel in in draft specifically because uh I feel and Thomas y- your opinion on this uh um but I feel like in draft it's so much more difficult to build a control deck anything that's geared to do anything other than be fairly aggressive because you don't have control over the cards you're picking so so trying to build a deck that has that sort of controlling set of cards in it is quite difficult i don't know thomas have you have you been able to 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 play a deck that's successfully defensive there are ultimately no control decks in draft because blade storm is one of the worst cards and <laughs> in that mode uh hunter's vengeance is terrible and you're very unlikely to get it so there's not really any control decks except for like shadow fen convert but those cards are just really good that you want to jam into any deck anyway so they're still not even control decks. So with that in mind, then, don't you need to play less defensively in draft? Absolutely. I mean, you every time you do a uh, streaming session, I'm constantly talking about, eh, it seems like it's unlikely your opponent has a runner here. You might as well just go uh, more aggressive, saying that every single turn. Yeah, for me, this is really a question of macro strategy, which is how I like to think of it, which is 
trying to evaluate what your opponent's deck is going to do and what your deck is capable of doing and just trying to uh, make sure that you're advancing your game plan and trying to make sure that you're denying your opponent their game plan. If if you think that they're being aggressive, then yes, err on the side of defense. If you think that they don't have the tools to defend, err on the side of offense. Push, push it. If you're not in danger of dying or if you can use part of your resources to defend and be more aggressive with the rest of it, definitely err on the side of attacking. Uh, and in draft mode, especially, um, you know, it, it, it's, I think that's where the good draft players have an advantage. It's not necessarily choosing the cards in the draft or choosing the upgrades. It's evaluating how they're going to play the deck once they draft it, but before the match even starts. All right. I, I've thought of a scenario that that comes into to my mind here because this is the kind of thing that Sabaiku would yell at me. I, I'm just I'm coming up with you know thinking through things and tr- just trying to imagine when would Sabaiku yell at me and call me an idiot? Anytime you defend, right? Defense exactly. Is for <laughs> <laughs> so so here's a perfect example of the kind of too defensively mistake that I make. Right, I'm, I make this quite often, and and, and Mock, I think this kind of gets to this idea when I'm playing a mid-range Shadowfen deck, and my opponent is playing a Zuri Bucks deck. I used to my like I would be, find myself in this situation quite often where my opponent, I've got like a you know let's say a four or five health unit in the middle of the board. My opponent has two units around it, and my play can either be toxacking that unit. And basically clearing his board or almost clearing his board and playing maybe like one unit or ignoring everything and just going onto his baseline. And I would routinely toxic my unit, blow it up, lose all chance of any sort of aggression, just putting like a gifted recruits onto their second row and trying to reset the board. And I would lose those games. And the reason why I would lose those games is because Zuri and Bucks over the long run are going to make units and, and, and columns of units that are just too big. And if I just gave up and said, screw it, you know what? You can have Bucks trading into this four health unit, but I'm going to put 10 health on your baseline for you to do that. Exactly. Denying that value felt like such an important thing early in my Stormbound career and honestly still... I make this mistake a lot. Denying that Bucks value. Like, no, no, no. He's going to trade into it. It's going to get so much. These units are going to get so big. Yeah, but none of them are going to be on your baseline. Who cares? Let him take 10. Sometimes all you need to defend is like a one strength cat that costs you two, <laughs> two mana. That's it. You're just much, much lighter on the defense uh, for the most part. You know, obviously, once you are familiar with your opponent's deck and you know what's at risk and you know what might be coming, then you know, you're going to have to make more nuanced decisions, but you don't always have to grind up all of your opponent. You don't have to like eliminate all of their strength. You can just like lightly block and then move forward. Yeah. And I think, I think in, in draft it's even worse, right? Because trying to get a feel for what your opponent's deck is, is, is doing is so much more difficult because of the randomness of the draft in draft mode sure. especially you should like always err on the side of aggression both because your deck can probably defend worse than it should be able to in in ladder but also you're like trying to get some semblance of what you're trying to deny from your opponent is quite difficult yeah i mean 
almost until the point it's too late. Which, <laughs> exactly. Like, well, we know everything, but my opponent has 10 mana and I've got 10 and like, you know, anything can happen. It's different when you, when, when, when you're playing in the ladder, you know, the meta, you really know what could be coming. You don't always see that in draft. No. And sometimes you get surprises on the ladder too. Like, you know, you leave a unit blocking forgotten souls, but it turns out this is the guy that runs Harold Sim instead and you lose that game. And you yeah. know, you just, you take those losses and you move on to the next game. You know, you played as well as you could. I just feel it's better to play lightly. I mean, you can play. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. You can play light. You can play light, lighter on the defense than you fear. Yep. You don't commit all of your resources right. to defense uh, because right. then, then you're not. Then you're allowing your opponent to continue attacking. Right. If you pose problems that they also have to answer, then you're taking back some of the initiative and some of the tempo in the match. Also, like the amount of times that you're, or <clears throat> I see people absorbing too many units into an opponent's stuff that a Forgotten Souls would have um, been able to send into base regardless of you sinking all of your entire turn towards it or putting all of your units on your opponent's baseline. If, if you're going to lose to a Forgotten Souls anyway, just put everything on your opponent's baseline because if they have it, they have it no matter what you did. And if they don't have it, then you win. That's that's right. The, right. I think- I think that's so. So that Sabaiku has this phrase that he says to me a lot because, again, this this issue of being too defensive is definitely my issue. I'm a controlling player at heart, I'm, and I'm with you a little bit there. Make them have it. I will hear. I can hear him even when he's not streaming with me and I'm playing. I can hear his voice telling me, "Make them have it." In a situation where I can put lethal on their board and just say. If you have Forgotten Souls and Pog, I lose. Okay, let's see what you got. Uh, uh, I win more often than not when when I put my opponent in those situations. The cycle fails them, or you know whatever it happens to be, they just they 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 cannot answer my demand. Right. That brings me to kind of the next thing that you have here. Uh, if you need to block, have you considered all your options? This is another issue that I've seen several times on ladder uh I, and i'm positive i saw it i thought i saw it in one of sabaiku's videos recently but it was not the one that i thought um i will see people every once in a while uh defend when, when <laughs> i've got one unit on their baseline and they put a unit on their penultimate row which only allows me one column for runners <laughs> like if you're not going to block runners why put any unit on your penultimate row? Like only allowing me to put unit runners in column D. Okay, well, you know, here comes saber paws and here comes goats and we're good to go. Like wh- why only defend half the board like that? Oh, instead of like pretending that both sides had front and there's nothing else that they can do. Like let's say yeah, instead of yeah, exactly. uh, gifted recruits, they had a lawless herd. Right. Might as if they couldn't do a true defense, then they might as well have just put it at the most furthest forward that they could. And that's that's your advice to me every time we stream together. Is like I'm like, should I put something back? And you're like, why? What's it gonna do? (laughs) There's the column D is open. You can't stop that. So then why put something in column B? What what are you hoping? Like, what's the goal of that unit in B? But but it is my knee jerk reaction to want to at least put something there so that they can't overload my baseline. 
right? Mm-hmm. But what's the odds of that even happening? Right. By being more aggressive with those units, instead you're preventing them from overloading your baseline just because they have to answer the pressure if they don't have lethal. Precisely. And I think that's the big issue in a lot of this mock that a lot of these questions are getting to is this issue of unless they have lethal, by putting them on your by putting your units on their baseline, you are forcing them to take resources off your baseline that they would have put there and instead use them defensively. So it's the same net effect of not allowing them to load on your baseline, whether you put it on the second row or on their <laughs> on their baseline. Right. And I think that's part of what people miss. Yeah, you definitely want to commit as few of your resources to defense as you need to and as much to offense as you can in in most of the time. Uh, that's, you know, assuming that you're playing maybe the more aggressive deck in the matchup. If you're playing the more defensive deck in the matchup, then maybe you do want to err on the side of more defense because you assume that you're going to win the long game. Uh, but, you know, again, that gets back to the the question of macro strategy. Do what your deck is trying to do. If your deck is trying to just, you know, stall the game until you get to that nine minute turn and, and then you're going to, you know, OTK with Siren and Wolf Cloaks, or you're going to heal up with Ulf and, and put the game out of reach for your opponent, then do that. But if you're the one that's being more aggressive, it's probably a better idea to continue that aggression instead of trying to play defense. So, so Thomas, looking at a lot of these questions, the one thing that I'm a little anxious about, uh, uh, you know, if, if, if for Mach to publish this is in a lot of games, he, he mentioned checkers, he mentioned go, or sorry, he mentioned chess and, and go. Um, it's fairly easy to reset the board to the state of the, of the issue in question and analyze it from different sides. I feel like Stormbound is so complex that a question like, have you considered all your options on what to use as a blocker? Boy, the answer is probably always going to be no for me because there's I've got four cards in hand. There's a it's, lot. And there's, yeah, it is still can, pretty straightforward. You can count though. to four, my friend. You can <laughs> count to four. It is straightforward, though. We, we know so many cards in this game have five strength when you're playing in the upper leagues. And mm-hmm, so... Mm-hmm. If you only have one unit to block, it's probably not the five strength unit that can be cleared by a green prototypes. Fair. Because then you do um, your sparkly kitties, because then you're forcing them to have a six strength thing, and then you put your green prototypes on their baseline rather than that one extra strength on their baseline. I like it. I like it. Um, okay. All right. So, so we do think that these are questions that if you sit down and really analyze and, and contemplate that you should be able to get an answer for. Um, all right. I'll go along with that. Uh, I do still see, by the way, speaking of kitties, I still see a lot of people opening uh, with their kitties uh, uh, playing it against one of their sidewalls. So either in column Slap A or D. And, and, and I was doing it. I have to admit, uh, Thomas, until you explained to me, that no, that's a terrible idea. You need to play it in one of the two middle columns to open a game, and please explain why. Because you want your sparkly kitties to be on the outside because that's going to reduce the likelihood that their sparkly kitties can reset your sparkly kitties. They only have a 50% chance of attacking into your sparkly if you get your sparkly on the side of the board. 
they then have to have dubious hags or destructo bots to be able to do that for the same mana cost with 100% likelihood. Right, right. So in other words, if I play it in A, I know Kitties is going to move into B and then move up. That means if my opponent has two units that they can play, the second one can be the Kitties and that clears my Kitties. With 100% certainty. With 100% yes. certainty. If I play mine in B and 50% chance, it slides into A... Now getting rid of that is super difficult, and it requires, to your point, a coin flip or having exactly the right card in hand. Yep. Just like to what Subaiku is always saying, force them to have it. You never, ever want to give your opponents a choice when you don't have to give them anything. So so this goes into one of the questions that Mock has here. The edge of the board, units on the outside columns have fewer interactions than the ones in the middle. Do you think through all of that? I can, I can tell you from personal experience, Mock, that a lot of the people I play against in Diamond and Heroes League um, still haven't fully adapted to just the fact that kitties uh, playing. <laughs> I've been playing a uh, Diehards deck, and I am ashamed to admit it. I, I played, I think, a dozen games uh, against Stony J two two months ago, uh, testing it out, and and li- we're just scrimmaging back and forth. I literally played uh, opened with with Diehards like four or five times in a middle. <laughs> column and every time he would send me a chat going dude what are you doing i just it's such a freaking habit uh being mindful of all of these issues is 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 a big deal like mock you've been writing how how many of these things do you find that you uh uh that just writing these things down and looking through them and thinking like how much better of a player do you feel you are just sort of trying to become more mindful of these things. Oh, I, I mean, I, I doubt that I've gotten any better. Although, listening to Thomas just now, I feel like I got, well, you know, one-tenth of a percent better <laughs> on, like, one margin of one thing. You want another um, little tidbit? No, I, I, lo- I love that tidbit. Sure. Okay, so when you're playing against Swarm, uh, it used to be back in the day that you wanted to kind of play in the center of the board to try and clog things up because... Reckless Rush has such a hard time when you are clogging up the center of the board. With all of the super interactive cards these days, Loris, um, just the other 10 million cards I don't want to go on for days, start playing on the corners of the board. They, you can tell, they're like, oh, I'm playing against Geno Akbar. Like, they will quit playing super aggressively because... It's going to feel like you are trying to shove them off over to one side of the the other side of the board for you to be able to set up whatever you're setting up. And they are going to start playing way more defensively uh, in these upper hero leagues. No way. They're, they're, they're literally outplaying themselves. Let's hope that, that, that that's just a little a little bubble that will evaporate after they adjust to the new reality. It will, and then you'll have to slot in Void Surgers at, with an, <laughs> for a legitimate threat. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's been working pretty well. Nice, nice. That is super You know, I do that in decks, uh, especially where I run Twilight Prowlers. If I'm playing a more defensive, heavier deck, I will definitely uh, try to try to control an edge of the board because I know Twilight's going to clear everything off of my baseline anyway. Oh, that's mm-hmm. gross. Very good point. So with all of these uh, different questions, Mock, do, do you find that they sort of fall into categories? I mean, some, some are clearly like very small. No, none of these, by the way, I mean, this, this whole set of questions sort of uh, avoids completely the issue of deck building and and really even what 
you know, what faction your opponent is playing. They're meant to be super general. Um, some are microscopic and some are like super big. So the big picture, my big picture question is, I, I think the best sub question of this is don't stop at your first right answer. Like you think you have a good play, you know, you have a little bit of time. Definitely always consider at least one alternative uh, move. If you mm. don't, you're, you know, you're stuck or you're like a hyper genius. And, you know, obviously no one was, is ever going to stand a chance <laughs> against you. But if you're me, like I really need to look at the options and I feel like some people are really pretty reactive and given the timed nature, like there's a little pressure to be reactive, but you have all of that timer is yours and you should take it, you know, unless you're suffering like lag or something like that. So like consider more than one option, like what's the board going to look like at the end of your opponent's turn. And that could look at, you know, you, you at least consider two or three ways that might turn out before you make your move. Yep. I definitely do that uh, evaluation of what cards are in my hand and what can I play on the board while my opponent is playing out their turn uh, because I want to have an idea before I cycle a card. All right, if I draw dead, if I draw you know Siren or whatever and I can't play it, what am I going to do with the rest of the cards in my hand? What's the play I'm going to make? If I draw something better, what's the play that I'm going to make? You know, you rarely want to cycle a card and just hope you get something good. Uh, you want to have a plan in place for what what happens uh, if you draw something good and what happens if you draw something bad. Right, right. I mean, you you should be optimistic. You should you should like expose yourself to like the best opportunities, but you still have to be realistic and figure out like, okay, if it didn't turn out quite my way, do I have a good backup? And maybe maybe your most bold play is like too risky and you realize, okay, I have to take the one that's like solid. Uh, usually it's not the most defensive play. No. It's going to win you. No. Sabaiko says this a lot to me. Give yourself the chance to high roll. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You should expose yourself to a, 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 a good opportunity. Yeah. And it's never, you're never trying to high roll defensively. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes you really need that Hunter's Vengeance to come back faster than you expect. <laughs> I should say the other kinds of questions are questions that I ask myself. Like, you know, here's one that is like, sometimes you have to do the math. Like, I don't know if my opponent has messed up their math, but I am painfully aware when I have screwed up my math. Like, I don't always track my mana costs correctly because you know there's like two or three numbers on these cards and this will sound stupid like to, to people who are i don't know like geniuses or like never forget anything or but as a you know an intermediate player like i can mess up how much mana cost there is i could i could swap that with the strength of my unit or or worse even like how far it moves like there's three numbers on cards so like you sort of have to give yourself an extra second to say, am I doing the math right? Am I am I even doing my trades right? Like like I think I'm going to come out one strength ahead, but I screwed up because I I I swapped like the level of, of my unit versus its strength. 
Oh yeah. Especially in draft. I make right. that mistake in draft a lot. All of that stuff is like, and how much, and like you look at your opponent's mana and you're like, how much damage could they do to my position? Like how many units could they end up leaving on the board? Or, or if they had a big fat unit, like how big is it? And you have to calculate that. So you have to like do some math and, you know, in a very, in a few seconds that you have, you should take the time to do the math. Don't always play hot and reactive because if you're like me, you're going to be like, well, I'm, I'm a bear of limited brain and I'm going to like <laughs> swap a few things. But if I like, okay, if I double check, I'll, I'll be better off. It's fine. Math is hard. Just play the cards in your hand. Eventually you run out of mana and you can't play anymore. Well, <laughs> That's when okay. you know your turn is over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I could play that way, but sometimes I do. Uh, I often mess up mana cost still, even after years of playing this game. The f- the funny thing for me is often I, tr- I, I will actually get myself into the um, uh, paralysis by analysis trap. Uh, I, Trekking Alderman is my favorite card in the game. And so I will literally sit there and try to extrapolate the different potential outcomes of putting Trekking in front of this unit. And what are the odds that this other unit reduces its health from the trekking getting procced such that it won't when it moves it it doesn't kill my unit like you know i'm i'll get into these terrible things where i'm like well is it better to play it in front of the five health unit and then be more or less likely to clear everything else or should i put it in front of the one health unit and keep it at six health but then i'm only doing five health to the rest of their board is that enough like that kind of math with trekking for me has become like super, I need to start it at the beginning of my turn and I'll rope and then I'll finally just be like, ah, scared, just put in front of something and let's go. That's interesting. I mean, unless you want tracking to proc twice, my theory of tracking is I put it in front of the fattest unit that it's going to do. It's going to eat all that. And then everything else is going to go to whatever else is my opponent has. That I value keeping trekking when I'm playing Shadowfen. I value keeping trekking above four health or four health or more, so that way I can threaten my opponent that I could have witches in hand. Do you really want to leave it on the board and let me proc it again? So I, I, I guess lo- well, that's too big brain for me. I just <laughs> make it eat the biggest, and then I know it's going to do its maximum effect. I don't want to leave it large against Winter or against Ironclad because Ironclad has plenty of six strength things to take sure. out, even a six strength um, or, or Windmakers or to just get even more value. And obviously against Winter with uh, Jev, um, no point in giving those, them that extra value for no reason. Sure. Mm-hmm. But against opponent Shadowfen and uh, Swarm, then it's perfectly acceptable to leave it larger. Interesting. So, so it's actually a, a, a an opponent's faction specific answer as to whether or not to trade yeah. big or trade small. And I know that was another one of your uh, questions that you had, Mod Maka. Um, knowing your opponent's deck, where was that? It was probably farther down because it takes a while to get to know your opponent, especially in draft. You don't exactly know what they have, but at a certain point, you'll be able to guess. Yeah, well, or at least guess that whatever's left is so bad they won't play it. <laughs> like, you have no idea how often that's happened where I've played a game of draft and I've seen 10 of my opponent's 12 cards and it was a terrible deck. And I'm like, wait, what was it that you were cycling away every time? Because what you played was terrible. Yeah, I think I claimed 
as the game goes on, you should have an almost exact idea about what yeah. your opponent yeah. has. Well, that's like true in the latter, with yeah. the exception yeah. of maybe there's always a whammy. You should always leave room for the opponent having some sort of whammy that's going to throw you off. Um, but as you play, even in draft, you, you should be monitoring. And, and I, I feel like that should be obvious to advanced players, but I, I feel like intermediate players don't take it enough advantage of this. And that, that also relates to the cycle, like when are they going to have their good card or the card that you fear the most. Um, and all of that has to do with like being willing to track a little bit more. And Arthas is great at this. Like he knows the cycle, he knows the opponent's cycle, and there's a there's a great edge gained by working out what your cycle is going to be and and tracking what your opponent's cycle is going to be. But that's that's effortful, and um, you know some people can do this in their brain, and other people have to take little notes. Like I used to keep a little, little set of post-its in front of me, like like six post-its, like where my cards were, so I could know when they were going to come up because uh, there's no shame in using like an external device to help your human memory. Oh gosh, could you imagine if somebody made like a third-party HUD that gave you like the percentages for each card? That would be a little nasty. I have thought about that myself, but I was like, nah. You you can get that in Hearthstone. Uh, Hearthstone has several deck trackers, which Uh, there's there's 12 cards in a deck plus whatever people have added to them. It's not that hard. Which means it should be easy to code. (laughs) And somehow I screwed up anyway. (laughs) It's probably tragically easy to code. Um, Mm. But along those lines, like, you know, I have like cycling. You should you should pay attention to your cycling if you haven't. If you want that edge, if you feel like you've hit some limit in your game, like, oh, I can't, can't seem to get any better, start tracking your cycling properly um, um, and start monitoring what your opponent has done. Yeah. Like, even crudely, even if you're just thinking about, like, what is that one card that your opponent has had? When did they play it? When are they most likely to see it again? If you do that, you'll have an edge. And that's all, that's all this game is about, is like little edges. You know, e- even to your point, Mark, crudely is, is a great way to describe how I tend to do it, which is just, if I saw it last turn, they probably don't have it again. If I've seen them play it and they didn't play it last turn, they probably have it in their hand. So play around it, right? Like that's, sometimes that's, most of the time, that's just enough. Right, right. That was, and, this was, this was the biggest eye-opener uh, when, uh, I first pinged Reckless in Discord, in the, in the Stormbound Discord. Uh, he, had, he had shared his deck list with me, the Reckless Rush deck list, whatever version it was back then. And I'm like, dude, I can't get past Platinum 2. It just won't work. There's too many big, you know, high-level decks. I just can't do it. So he's like, all right, well, why don't we, why don't we uh, do a little coaching session? I'll, I'll sit with you for like an hour. And, and we did. We, we, we streamed it. And I kid you not, Every freaking time he'd be like, okay, we're going to play these cards. You're going to get Forgotten Souls, and then we'll cycle a card and you'll get Pog and you'll win next turn. Every time. I'm just, how on earth are you keeping it? It was just like the easiest thing. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't play two cards. You need to play three cards right now. So that way we get back to Forgotten Souls. So you need to play that and you need to play green prototypes and summon militia because we need to, we need to play three cards this turn. And the fact that he was less concerned about 
what we were doing this turn and more concerned about what we were cycling ourselves into for the subsequent turn was such an eye-opening, like mind-blowing realization for me. This turn didn't matter as much as getting the right cards for next turn was not a mindset I had ever even contemplated before getting coaching from him. Nice, nice. Yeah, and and then that, and that, that's that's often right. I mean, you, you still have to play your best turn, but of course, if you are thinking about the cycle and what has to happen for your plan to be carried forward, like how else can you succeed except by tracking a little bit your cycle? I think that MERS is a great example for this, right? Like people love to put MERS in slower decks because, oh, I'm trying to make the game go long. I'll come back and get that token. Uh, it'll help me out later on in the game. Like your deck has enough value. You don't need that token later on in the game. But if you're in a deck that plays lots of one and two and three mana cards, right, then you can play that MERS early and then your very next turn on four mana, you can play a two and two ones and cycle a card. And like, you're so close to getting it back already. And it's only been one turn since you played it. You know, if you play MERS, you cycle a card, you play three cards, you cycle a card. Next turn, you cycle a card. Like You've already moved through over half of your deck. You've got a very good chance of finding that on, on your five mana turn. And you're almost guaranteed to get it on your six mana turn, right? So just the you, cards that you, you play... That, man. The cards that you play are not as important as the number of cards that you can play. Uh, and in the same way with like a Giovanna deck, right? Like you, mm. we talked about this early on, you know, we were, we were on that winter rush bandwagon early freeloader because you know, we had that realization. Like it's just about finding that combo on five mana consistently and to find the combo on five mana consistently all you have to do is just move through your deck as fast as you can until you get the cards you need yeah exactly and and there was a huge problem i don't know if you remember it right when we were experimenting with it i had a wonderful run of it and then somebody suggested i add mistwives to the deck because there's you know why not like that would be really good and i suddenly started holding on to mistwives when i found it early so that i could because I was hitting like 75, 80% of the time, I was hitting Icicle Jeb on five. And suddenly I start holding on to Mistwives on my early turns when I find it because I'm expecting on mana turn five to have my Icicle Jeb. And my hit rate on that combo dropped below 50% because I'm no longer playing the maximum number of cards and cycling like I was before. Just, just having Mistwives in that deck was changed my behavior and my behavior was so detrimental to the deck it it killed it uh so i had to learn to just throw away mistwives if i didn't have a good play with it because it was not helping me get to the real power turn the real power turns icicle chef and once you can kind of learn that about your deck what are the cards that you really need to cycle into then you can start to learn that yeah this other part you know this is ubis is cool but no we don't hold it. Like Thomas yelled at me a couple of times last time we were uh, streaming together. Thomas is like, why are you holding on to Loris? If you don't have good value with Loris right now, get rid of it. And uh, it, it took me a, a little bit to, to, to learn that. But Thomas, thank you. Absolutely. It generally, my, my rule of thumb is if uh, my it's larger than my mana cost of what I can play, I discard it. That is something that I need to get better at, though because sometimes there is a card that is just so good that most likely in two turns you want to play it regardless. So even 
I struggle with uh, cycling quite a bit. Yeah, you don't play a lot of Gift of the Wise decks with that kind of attitude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not great with them. <laughs> so so what are we taking away from all of this tonight? Like, this conversation has been exactly what I was hoping it would be, right? We, we've been not necessarily uh, uh, um, writing the 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 guide, uh, of, but we've been talking about some of the aspects of the guide, some of the concepts in the guide that 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 hit home with us. And I feel like, I mean, personally, I've learned a couple of things tonight already, which feels great. But but what are the kind of the big takeaways of all of this? That is the point. <laughs> Literally, the point is that I, I think each of us have actually learned a few things tonight. But that's going to also mean that we're going to each individually think about each of these things. And that should be hopefully what we're passing on to our listeners and anyone that then reads the, the guide that you guys put together. Every single bullet point, every single thing is, huh, what about this? Just spend an extra 30 seconds thinking about it and what you want to do with that thought and that strategy going forward then. Just maybe focus on just one thing, play five or 10 games, just focusing on that one thing and then move on to the next one and just keep rinsing and repeating. I had not thought about doing that. Just like trying to be super mindful of a thing that you recognize as your weakness. Like just dive into it for... Or even your strength. Even if it's a strength, just to be conscientious that I think that I am a good aggro player. Maybe I should get a little bit better at it. There's nothing that says that you are already good enough in a particular thing. So it's all about what you're currently wanting to do. So I see no reason why a person shouldn't focus on... All of them. Now, just... now that Reckless has retired from the game, Thomas, the 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 premier uh, aggro player badge is up for grabs. Ooh, <laughs> tempting. <laughs> You'll have to beat Sabaiko to earn it, though. <laughs> the two of you are super aggressive players. Sabaiko, I want to leave. I want. I want your opinions on this. Um, Zalay, like him, hate him. Uh, uh, whatever but he was he had one piece of advice that always stuck with me uh and mock has these two great uh, uh parts right now dealing with randomness and mindset and the one and only thing i've ever taken away from from watching all of Zelay's streams that i did was this one thing he said kind of offhandedly somebody said something about oh man you didn't get what like you had a one in three chance of getting the card that you needed to win that game you were unlucky and Zelay was like yeah i was unlucky that was that was very unlucky. We, we played to our outs. But here's the thing. My opponent was probably unlucky on four or five different moments that we don't even think about right now. Like everybody has a bad point in the game. Everybody has the RNG go against them every game. It's not just the ones that you think of. There's a lot of points where things go south. And it's about how you handle those moments, right? Like things go bad for both players every game. It's just a question of which one of them handles it better and moves moves on and, and continues. Yep. Keep keep an even head. Keep playing the game, right? That's all you can do. Like just the game isn't over just because you got unlucky. The game's still going on, so finish it out. And then uh, you know, at the end of the game, if if you're dwelling on it, if it's annoying you, you know, walk away. Go do some push ups. Go do some burpees. Come back and oh, uh, God, don't do that. <laughs> and then come back to it after you get some uh, some of that frustration out. Uh, definitely don't do burpees. I'm sorry, uh, Mock. You don't have burpees in this guide anywhere, do you? It, no, it, it should be actually after every no, paragraph. No, no, do not. No every burpees. paragraph, do five burpees. 
Have you thought about this? No, go do burpees. No, 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 no. But I, 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 there, there is something to taking a step back. Maybe that's you know what burpees is standing in for, because you have to. My, my last little bit on like reviewing your game. Some questions are best asked in the cold light of failure. You know, <laughs> you won't always know why you lose, but sometimes you see things. So you, you, you will learn a lot. Ask yourself, how did I lose? Did, ask yourself whether you overplayed, whether you were playing too defensively. If you were unlucky, is there some thing that you can do about that? Right. Because we have that, that section on like RNG effects. Like by definition, you can't control them, but you can shape them. You can constrain them. You know, if there's six different things that can happen to an opponent's unit, because you know that, I don't know, they're going to get some benefit, you know, you might be able to remove one of those options and make it so that, you know, only five of his units can benefit from, I don't know, some buff that's going to happen when you destroy the. Our Tigers are about to trade. Like, there's constraints. Um, and again, playing along the edges. But you have to be willing to ask yourself, when you're calm after the fact, or maybe in in a moment you need to be calm because you have to keep your options open. But after the fact, like, you know, you, I rage quit all the time. I, I freely admit this. I rage quit. And then I like, then I have a think. And, you know, was I unlucky? And then sometimes you just like, well, you just eat the wrong end of the luck stick. But um, other times you're like, well, no, actually could have i had options and i didn't take them and being willing to review your game i mean this is true in chess this is true in go that is the way that you can really improve but you can't do it if you're just mad or if you're just like oh my opponent was lucky or the rng in this game and it has rng you know makes me too mad to think about see my opponent being lucky is actually like a big relief to like this happens all the time when i stream I'll ask Sabaiku after we lose a game, what did we do wrong? What could we have done different? And if his answer is, dude, nothing. We, nothing. We, we we played it right. He just got lucky. Then I'm just like, all right, well, F him, but I'm ready to move on. Like, this is great. Like, that's, that's good, good news for me, right? Like, congratulations to him. He he, he got to be really lucky, and now I can move on. Uh, it's the, the points of, oh, gosh, we didn't think about this, or we didn't think about that, or we should have done this, or... You know, we debated too long and then we roped and then you didn't get your last card played. That's like probably the largest slice of the pie. <laughs> we talked, we, we, we tried to do the math or whatever for so long and then you didn't get two of your cards out of your hand before the rope ended. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, there is this in the game moment where you can start becoming reactive. You're just like, oh, I'm starting to get desperate and and, and you're sort of, insta countering everything your opponent does and you're really not at that moment considering your options you, you probably are playing too defensively because that's what happens when people are under threat they like you know they start playing defensively which is i guess why it's at the top um and so you know i want to say like you have i don't know how many seconds you actually have to make a turn but that's it's it's actually quite a bit which is not to say that you should like annoy your opponent by dragging every move out but like go ahead and take that time especially if you're feeling like i might lose this one 
take your time and make your best play and you're going to win or you're not going to win, but it'll still be your best play. I think that's a great way to end this. So that's going to end the main portion of this episode, which means it's time for me to remind you to please contact us preferably in our channel on the Stormbound Discord server or on Twitter at Broodsages. You can always email us as well at thebroodsages at gmail.com. This week, we heard from an old pal, Ubermensch is back. He said, I love this kind of intro so much. Not going to lie, I've missed this game. I'm finally back at it after nine months. This game is much more fresh than when I left. Draft is amazing. Agreed, sir. It is. And Guardy the Lightbringer, got to be my most favorite Stormbound art ever. My old Diamond 2 deck still works. Well, at least in the Silver League with level three card caps. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much, Mock, for being here. This was awesome. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it was great. For Sabaiku and Thomas, I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages reminding you to stay hydrated.